Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, I, um, I was struck by what um, uh, John Lecce said and then, uh, and then Pastor Joe the same way. Sometimes I think that the Holy Spirit impresses upon a preacher a certain word, a certain message, and then... Um, uh, sometimes we'll impress that same word upon others. And so I thought about, you know, how do you even begin to approach uh, what we're talking about today? And, I, I, you know, with, with all that's happened in the life of the Lechis, who uh, uh, so many in this church are so closely connected to. And I thought, well, you know, probably what I'll talk about is just the idea of training. And maybe I'll show them 1 Corinthians 9 and talk about how, you know, when you talk to James, or you, you know, I've been texting him a little bit. And you think, how is this guy going through what he's going through? Oh, well, God must have given him special grace in this moment. And yeah, he has, but come on. God has been giving him special grace for years and years. And that's what happens. Sometimes you're in church and you go, well, I didn't get anything. I didn't really get anything out of that service. You have no idea what you got out of that service. You have no idea how the Holy Spirit will work in that. It could be a year from now. It could be two years from now. You say, well, that really didn't apply to me. And what you should say is, that didn't apply to me yet. And maybe it will. And uh, I will be ready. And, 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 you know, a life that goes through these storms uh, in such a way is not a result of just that moment. It's a result of all that training. And I think the Holy Spirit was like, all right, I'm going to give this to John. I'm going to give this to Tom. One of you just get it out there. And so uh, uh, I just wanted to affirm what you said. And uh, my example was going to be marathon. You went Winter Olympics. But it's the same thing, you know. It's not in that moment, oh, Lord, help me. It's the weeks and weeks of training that have gone into that. Uh, you know, really continuing that theme, I'm excited to be beginning a new series, and uh, I wanted to share it with City on a Hill. Uh, if the Lord wills, I will be back uh, twice again in February and then twice in March, and I want to unpack this series. So I'll introduce the series with some scripture today, and then uh, as I'm uh, uh, coming in the coming weeks, we're going to go through this. And I call the series Getting Your Ducks in a Row, and I have these cute little ducks that... Uh, uh, sort of uh, illustrate some areas in our life. You know, it's still January, still New Year, fresh on our minds. James has been talking to you about your one word. Anybody got their one word? Okay, some of you have been thinking about that. Others of you are still wrestling. If, if you have no idea what I'm talking about and you're a first-time guest, first of all, welcome. Come back. And the second thing is that you can grab the CD or go online and uh, get the podcast of that. But I got these ducks here to illustrate ducks in a row. We're going to talk about money, time, health, our mind, you know, self-improvement kind of stuff. And uh, maybe each week I'll bring like one of my kids ducks and we can dress it up, you know, for money. We can put him in like some Sean John and rock aware. So we can give him a watch for health, maybe like a little stethoscope, whatever. Uh, but uh, 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 these areas of our life, I actually had to find out. I, I asked some people, I kind of, uh, right before I preached this, I thought, oh man, you know, I, uh, I, I had this idea for the series, getting your ducks in a row. And then the, the uh, lady who does the graphic design, she arranged this. And, and I realized we're both from the, I grew up in Kentucky and she grew up in uh, uh, North Carolina. And I realized this may be like a southern thing, getting your ducks in a row. And Because that happens a lot. Like, I, you know, uh, come up here and all the Yankees are like, mm, I don't know, what's something sermon about ducks? I don't understand, you know, right? But uh, uh, safe to say, uh, I asked some Yankees and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a thing. 
So that's good. Uh, I did ask in other languages, and the Spanish people said, don't even, nope, don't even try it. And I asked a guy in Bangladesh, I said, what is the, come on, man, tell me. Like, uh, I asked a Pakistani member of my church family, and I said, well, how do I say duck in, uh, in Urdu? And he's like, buttock. And I was like, we're not going to do that either. Like, like, this is not working. But anyway, in English, the sermon is killer, man. Ducks in a row. Getting your ducks, your story, getting your ducks in a row. Uh, Start with the number one myth when it comes to self-improvement, right? Because this could be the cover of a book about self-improvement, right? I mean, with the, the, the whole idea of these are the areas when we come to the new year. How do we budget our money? How do we budget our time? When you talk about money in the new year, especially January is always fun to talk about money because many times the credit card bills are coming from all of Christmas's fun. You know what I mean? You're like, whoa, I got to get a handle on this. I got to get my financial ducks in a row. For others, it's their health. You know, I got to get uh, better about my health. I got to put more emphasis there or our mind or the list could go on and on. Your influence, your work, so forth, so I just picked four, but I want to start with the number one myth. I think the number one myth when it comes to self-improvement, the number one misunderstanding. And if you're a note taker, you know who you are. You're sitting there like, yes, finally, some, you know, number one myth. You've written it down and you're like, this is so good because Tom's always so kind of scattered and narrative. Finally, he's going to give me a number one myth and I'm going to write it down. Here's the number one myth. But first I want to illustrate it with a story. The number one myth when it comes to all these areas, money, time, health, your brain, how you treat all this stuff. I want to lift that, that, this huge misunderstanding. And if you don't get out from under this misunderstanding, the reason I'm making such a big deal about this, the rest of the series won't make a bit of sense. We've got to free ourselves from, and this is not an American myth, this is worldwide, and this is it. Imagine with me, we'll pick, we'll pick money since it's the first duck, but they, it could be about any of them. Imagine with me that you have in your possession $1,000. Pretty good illustration, right, so far. You've got $1,000. I could have given you 10000 but let's not get greedy, right? It's just, it's just imaginary. You've got $1,000, and you decide that you're going to take that $1,000, and you're going to start a little savings account. Now, listen, you're not trying to make a, a huge investment. You know you could make more money, perhaps in a mutual fund or in some sort of growth stock portfolio, but you're not interested in that. You just want somewhere to keep your $1,000 safe for a few months for when you want to need it to, you know, to spend it. And so you go down to a, a bank, and you because you're interested in safety, you pick a bank that is FDI insured. Now, FDIC stands for Federal DIC insured. I have no idea. But, right, you go down to a bank and you meet, oh, you meet Mr. Banker. Mr. Banker, you've seen him before, whatever. And Mr. Banker, uh, Mr. Banks, let's say, happens to be his name. And so you talk to Mr. Banks, the manager. You go in there, you, you know, some small talk. And you fill out some forms and you deposit. You lay them down. A hundred Ben Franklin. I mean, uh, I was not really so good at math. Ten Ben Franklins right there, $1,000 bills, I get that right? And you got $1,000 and you, you know, talk to the teller and you deposit. They give you a nice receipt, maybe even a little passbook there. You have opened a savings account. It may not earn much interest, but your goal here is safety. You thank everybody, you walk out, oh, walk back, get the lollipop, walk back out and uh, make your way home all is well. Uh, about a year goes by and your wife says, honey, we need a new china cabinet. Now, you're confused because you don't even use the china you have now. So what would necessitate a china cabinet that would further display, look at all the stuff we don't use? Like, 
But your wife used the word need. And so that's all you heard. So you go down to the bank and you're, you're going to withdraw your $1,000. You didn't know at the time it was worthless cabinet fund, but that's what it turned out to be. So you go down there and you walk into the bank and there it is. And when you go to the teller, she recognizes you from a year ago. Goes white as a ghost. And says, uh, oh, uh, Mr. Banks wants to see you. You're like, oh, okay. That's just $1,000, but I guess you know, I'm big time. So you, know, you walk to the back. You sit down. Mr. Banks comes. Oh, oh, uh, it's you. Come in. Have a seat. Like, well, what's going on? Uh, small talk. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm just here to withdraw that $1,000 deposit. I want to take it all out because, you know, I'm China cabinet. And you sort of explain and he says, oh, yeah, um, you, uh, you can't do that uh, today. Like, oh, well, I get it. It's probably like, probably like a thing where, you know, I may have to take it out in smaller chunks due to the, the regulations of my account. No big deal. I can come back tomorrow, you know, in the next day or whatever. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. About that $1,000, um, uh, we, we, we don't have it. You're like, what do you mean you don't have it in this branch? I'm sure you can. He's like, no, no, no. The uh, thing is, what, what happened is... Uh, uh, you know, you gave me that $1,000, and um, my wife and I, uh, turns out, about that same time, um, we uh, wanted to go on a cruise. And so we, we uh, went on a, on a cruise and uh, used some of the money for that. And then when we got back, it's the craziest thing, we got such a good deal on the cruise, we still had money left over for a, um, um, a plasma TV. And so then we bought a, a plasma t- TV with that $1,000. And so, um, you know, we don't have it. Now, at this point, you're looking around for the hidden camera going, this is a joke, right? I mean, obviously, I'm being, this is candid camera. I'm being messed with or whatever. And, 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 and you're starting to piece together. The guy's like, no, he, he's dead serious. In fact, he looks at you and he's like, yeah, I mean, we're really embarrassed about this. But you, you, you know what? You should come over to our, we would love to have you over sometime. And we can watch the photos of our cruise, maybe on the big screen, on, you know, and you'll enjoy that. Now, listen. What happens in that moment? This guy was not the owner of your $1,000. He's got it all twisted. He is just the, the asset manager. He was in, the lawyers would say, a fiduciary trust a responsibility or something for that. But he was not the owner of that thing, right? And so you're looking now, if you're from the South like me, you're going to say, I am going to write a strongly worded letter to your superior. But if you're from New York, we can't talk about in church what you're going to say, right? I will burn your bank to the ground, right? Because you, you just handle conflict different here. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying, right? Now, what's going on here? That guy's all confused. He thought that he was the owner of that $1,000. He was not the owner. He was the asset manager. He was just supposed to manage it for you. You are the rightful owner. He's just the manager. The number one myth when it comes to money, when it comes to time, when it comes to our bodies, the number one myth, we got it all confused. We think that we are the rightful owner of this stuff when in fact God is the owner. We're just the manager. We are the asset managers for whatever he has put in your hand. You just, the, and here's the thing. This is where it gets confusing. The, the, the Bible has this word. Like, 
Like back in 1611, when the King James Bible was being, you know, was translated Greek and Hebrew into English, uh, they didn't look around. They didn't have like asset manager. You know, they wouldn't have thought to use that phrase. And so they said, they come up with this biblical word that honestly, I've only found three places in modern English where it's still used. Uh, Two of them, but uh, a guy in my church actually pointed one out this week. But there's only, you, you grew up in church if you ever use this word or hear this word. But the Bible word for this is, you are a, you ready? Steward. You were a steward because the Bible was trying to translate this idea of someone who has been entrusted to care, someone who can use, someone who is an asset manager. And the best they could come up with was like, well, that guy, he doesn't own the castle, but he sort of runs the castle while the owner's away. He is the steward of that. And so, you know, we write steward. And to this day, you can tell if somebody grew up in church. If you ever hear like, oh, I want to be a good steward. You're like, you grew up in church. I know that's a Bible word. That's code word. I'm blessed, right? Like, I know what you're, I know what you're doing there, right? Because the only place, the only time a cabin steward on a cruise, you used to call flight attendants a steward or a stewardess, right? And then this week, uh, a friend of mine's doing the printing. What are you, the, the oh, like the graphic arts for the Westminster Dog Show, the, the Kennel Club thing. Um, uh, that's coming up. And he said that when the owners of the dog, you know, the people that, that, uh, handle them and run around, you know, the, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? They sort of, they sort of prancer size around the, yeah. Uh, he said that the name of that person, they, the owner gives the dog, they don't call him a handler. They're called a steward. I oh, some of you knew that. I didn't know that. And uh, they just care for the dog. They're not the owner of the dog, but the way they treat the dog reflects how the owner wants to treat it. That's it. That's it. Listen, 24 hours, it's not my time, and you're in imposition on my time. This was my day to do what I wanted. Whoa, 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 That's every, that hour is a gift from God. Now, how you use it, you, you get to manage it. You get to be the asset manager of that time, but it's his. Your body, your health, if your body belongs to you, do whatever you want with it. Treat it carelessly, use it for immorality, whatever. But if it belongs to God, it changes the game. You got to manage it how he wants you to manage it, you see? We are stewards. I want to show you in the scriptures where this word uh, shows up. Uh, Before I do, I I met a real life steward. He wasn't called a steward. Again, you're not going to go to Merrill Lynch and be like, I want to get a steward for my money. You know, but 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 I met one, a real life steward. I was invited to preach in Texas about 10 years ago, and I flew down there and the, uh, to this uh, 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 t- you know, tiny country church in the hill country of Texas, beautiful down there, and uh, landed in San Antonio Airport, and, on, and like the several weeks before, the church people that were sort of, the committee that was arranging this place where I was going to speak, they all said the same thing. They said, oh, and Tom, the place you're going to stay, wow. Oh, that, that's all they would say. Oh, the place you're going to stay, you know. And I kept, I had a lot of questions because I was like, you know, that could mean the place you're going to stay, wow, or the place you're going to stay, bring a knife. You know, like, I, it's not, didn't know the implications of all that. But I get down there and I was, wow. So I go and it was, um, uh, uh, the, I pull up and the guy that picks me up at San Antonio Airport drives me through there. And we get there and just the entrance of the place, I was like, whoa. It was this elaborate, turns out it's owned by one of the marshals, you know, one of these oil barons from Texas or one of his family or whatever. Just, just uber rich. And I pull up to this place and I'm blown away and I'm going, what? And it's got all the, he's raises all these exotic, you know, creatures on this, you know, gazillion acres. You know, everything's bigger in Texas. And uh, uh, I pull into the place and I find out, I get the story. It turns out the guy who's driving me around, who's hosting me, has full use of the property. He's the, he's the, the head honcho of the whole thing. 
And yet, he, he started out as a ranch hand who was caring for some of the exotic horses and stallions and the, these steeds. And he just kind of worked his way up until now. He is the, and I forget what he, official, you know, executive property manager. He was simply the steward. And he was taking me around. And he was the caregiver. He was, this, I was like, this is perfect. This is going to be a sermon illustration 10 years from now in New York. I just knew it. But at the time, he was saying, like, all right, now this, you know, and this light fixture, this one's from, you know, some sheik in, you know, uh, Saudi Arabia, and this one here. And, and he took me into his office. He's like, now, nobody sits in that chair. That, is, that chair was found in King Tut's tomb. The other one's in the British Museum. And I'm like, what? Right. Walking around, he's like, here's where you're staying. Oh, you know, it was unbelievable, this whole thing. And uh, come to find out, he, he's just simply a steward. He took me outside. He pointed to a house on the hill. It was huge. It was humongous. It had eaten other houses in Queens and just, you know, and this massive sprawling estate. And he said, yeah, funny story about that one. My job is to keep it ready at a moment's notice. If, you know, Mr. Marshall, whoever it was, if his grandson, he's at Harvard right now. But if he ever calls at a moment's notice, I got to have that place ready for him. So we just keep it ready all year long. That's the owner's instruction. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, the cable's running. We keep it landscaped. In Texas, they're watering the lawn. I mean, you can imagine. And he goes into all these things. And he, I said, how much does that cost a month to keep that ready? He's like, about $2,000 a month is what the total bill to keep this whole house perfectly air-conditioned, perfectly set at all times. I'm like, and nobody lives there. He's like, no. I was like, well, well how, <clears throat> how many times has he come down, you know, to, to do that? He said, well, in four years he's been at Harvard. Uh, I remember uh, one, one weekend that he stayed here. But it's ready at a moment's notice. Yeah. Um, now, that wasn't necessarily his decision, but that was the owner's decision, and he was doing what? He was being a faithful steward, and I thought, that's the picture I want us to have in our minds. It's easy to look at all that and go, man, that guy was entrusted with so much, he's in the lap of luxury, and he had like four kids, and they were having fun, they were riding around four-wheelers, they were being chased by exotic creatures. I mean, like, you know, they're having the time of their life, but the, he never got it confused. He never thought he owned it. He just enjoyed it and used it. Now listen, if you think that he has a lot, what does your heavenly father have that he's allowed you to use? You ever think about that? How many, how many, how much of our life, it's, it's a gift and we've been allowed to manage it. So the question you want to ask is not what you are doing with your stuff, it's how are we being a steward of what God has? Let's jump right into 1 Corinthians chapter 4 where Paul uses this exact word. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. This is what Paul says. He's talking, uh, let me, uh, just a little bit of background. People are sort of playing um, uh, in Corinth when Paul left. They had a little bit of disunity. Some people claimed that Apollos was their favorite. And some people said, no, Paul is the best. Apollos is the bad guy. Other people were like, I'm for Peter. And other people were like, I'm for Jesus. And they were like, well, you can't pick Jesus. We, you know, so they're fighting all this stuff out. Finally, uh, uh, Paul writes this letter and he's like, look, I'm heartbroken that you guys think that we human beings are to be put on these pedestals. It's God that you need to be worried about. Followers of Jesus Christ, we're just, and this is what he says, you, you want to know how you should regard us? You want to pick a title for us? He says, this then is how you ought to regard us. You looking for a title for me as a minister? How about bishop, reverend, the right reverend, the most right reverend, right? You know? Like two right reverends had a fight. And he's like, I know what to do. Most right reverend, you know, right? So the extra most right reverend. What would you pick for Paul? What, what bishop, right? Uh, high and holy prophet of God. Here's one. Servant. Servants of Christ. You know the word minister? It's Latin for servant. Servants of Christ. You want to pick a title for me? How about servants of Christ, Paul says. And stewards 
of the mysteries of God. There it is, stewards, that word. I am a steward. And you have been made a steward. Some of you have to be a good steward of your talent. Some of you have to be a good steward of your money. Some of you, God has put some gift in your hand. You know how to to fix a car. You know how to mix a beat. Weird. You know how to like, whatever it is, you know how to do it, right? God has given you that. You are a steward. Here's what he gave Paul. Good news of the gospel. Now imagine Paul's got this baby church and that little candle of hope is flickering and he's in a jail and he's got to get these letters out and hope that Timothy, come on, Timothy, guard this deposit, man, I'm counting on you, right? He is a steward. He is a caregiver of what he calls the mysteries of God. Why does he call it mysteries of God? Because he knows the Old Testament scriptures and and, and Paul's looking at it like this. It's one story from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's one story. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth and and, and you know that humanity rebelled against God and God was going to provide this redeemer, this Messiah, this savior. And over and over in the Old Testament, you're left with like, I don't know, like Abraham goes up to the mountain with Isaac and he's going to sacrifice Isaac. But at the last second, Isaac doesn't die. God provided a sacrifice. It's like, what is, what is that about? What's that, what's that sacrifice? What does that point to? It's a mystery. And then a few years later, David and Goliath meet in the valley. And if the representative of, of, of the Philistines, Goliath, wins, then defeat is given to all the Israelites. And that victory is imputed to all the Philistines. But if the representative of the people of God win, then the victory of the one is imputed to the all. What does that point to? What does that mean, Right? Uh, 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 when, uh, when the Passover happens, right, a lamb was slain and the blood of the lamb protected the people. What, what is, it's, like the, it's like at the end of it, there's all this riddle and you're waiting for the... And the thing that it points to, the mystery, when Jesus Christ was born, he lived a sinless life and he stretched out his arms. His death, burial, and resurrection, it's like, ah, mystery solved. All that stuff was pointing to King Jesus. And Paul knew that. And that's what he calls the mysteries of God. And he's saying, I'm a steward of that. That has been put in my hands. And my job is to tell the world that God has come in Jesus Christ. The royal announcement, the good news. The king is not Caesar. The king is Jesus. He came, he dead, buried, rose again, and is now on high, ready to receive all who will put their faith and trust in him. He'd been entrusted with that. That was what he was a steward of. Could be anything. So uh, again, money, time, our bodies. For him, it was his Bible knowledge, his, his, his revelation, his understanding. All right, so we're all stewards. Fair enough. God owns it. We're stewards. So what is required of stewards? Verse 2. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found perfect. Like, do stewards have to get it all right? I mean, if I say that you are a steward of what God has put in your hand, what's the number one thing you're going to look for for somebody you want to manage your affairs? Is it they're perfect? If I put you in, in charge of my money, do I demand immediately that you, you know, that you turn it into a gazillion dollars and you become a millionaire and you make every decision right? No. Nah. Uh, uh, if I, you know, if you're in charge of time, does that mean you have to become a, 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 an expert in productivity and time and you never procrastinate? You know, is that it? You have to do everything perfect? No. What about bodies? If, if, if you believe that you are just a steward of your body, does that mean you have to spend every waking moment, you know, considering like you need to be all sculpted and perfect with the washboard abs and the perfect arms and you only eat things like kale? Like, is that your, I mean, is that it, right? Gluten, right? Is that you? If that's it, right? If perfection, then nobody is, I mean, then who can be a steward? Einstein? You know, uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like who is supposed to be a steward? No, 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 no. It's not required any of those things. What's required is this. God 
just wants, he's looking for stewards of money, time, bodies, minds that he can trust. That's it. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they just be found faithful, trustworthy. That's it. And faithful to what? People, he's looking for men and women of God who will simply say, my time is not my own, my money is not my own, even my kids, my, I heard Dave Ramsey say, my kids, even my kids are not my own, they belong to God. And when they act up, I usually threaten them. Kids, I, I may just send you on ahead. <laughs> right? But, he, but you see his point, right? He's saying every gift we have, it's given from God and we are just stewards. When you talk about faithful, you talk about trustworthy, you're just talking about people who, like our original banker, Mr. Banks, just people who will never get that twisted. Who every day they will live in that reality that what I have is God's. I thought of a simple illustration that's sort of how my mind works. And if you're not tech savvy, you may not, you know, uh, fully appreciate this. But, you know, the, 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 the smartphones, right? You're down with the smartphones. You know, some of you uh, have the smartphone, right? Others, you know, the, the, the cell phone, the thing you open up and you crank and a pigeon goes, right? You know that? Some of you, the landline. You remember the landline? Okay. Um, but for those, the smartphone, um, I'm just curious. There's two, like, markets that are dominating. There's the iPhone then there's Android, right? So there's iPhone and there's Android, right? Now, I got to thinking about this. Uh, Psalm 24 one says, the entire earth is the Lord's, the world and anything in it. But I wanted to take a little poll. How many of you own an iPhone? Okay. Now, show of hands, how many of you own an Android? Oh, okay, okay. So Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the entire earth is the Lord's, the world and anything in it. So how many of you own an iPhone? Show of hands. Yeah, here we go. And how many of you own an Android? Okay, right. So Psalm 24 verse 1 says that the entire earth is the Lord's. The world and everything in it belong to Him. Now how many of you think, don't raise your hand, it's a trick question the preacher is using to drive home a point. How many of you own your iPhone? Exactly. Exactly. The iPhone, man, the Android, it's God's. That is God's phone, right? So when you pick it up, now here's the deal when that, when that, if that means, if I'm serious and this is God's phone, right? And it's hard to combat that because it's like we name products with the word I in front. But at least the logo isn't a bite from the forbidden fruit. I mean, that, so my point, by the way, if you're sitting here going, not for me, Android for Jesus, you've missed the point. It's not, I'm not picking on that. I'm saying to the world, to the world, you are a dollar sign, man. When you walk out of these doors, you're just a consumer. You're, if if Apple or Android or any of them, if products, Nike, if they can't convince you that they are telling the truth, if they can't get you to believe in them, they will cease to exist. The reason you can trust God is because he always tells the truth. Because whether he can convince you to believe or you don't believe, it doesn't change his existence. Jesus could always tell the truth because he wasn't selling anything. What he had, he came to give away for free. And there's thieves and salesmen that have crawled into his father's house. And he knew how to, they got in there. And he knew how to get them out. So, I mean, he turned, listen, that's what Jesus, man, he will turn the religious institution over from floor to balcony. And then just like those doves and sheep, you will be set free. Because you are not a consumer. You're more than what you consume. And if you start treating your stuff, this iPhone Oh, man, it's God's phone. 
then you're going to start using your phone like God would want you to use it. Property of God. I know what some of you are thinking, then why am I paying Verizon if it's God's phone? I know, I know, man, because he's allowed you to use that. You know, that's cool. You get to do that, right? And sometimes, man, it, it really is first world problems, isn't it? I mean, man, my iPhone's broken. Like, really? The device that you can talk into and somebody in Tokyo can hear what you say? You can... Like I was flying across country one time, and they were supposed to have free Wi-Fi on the plane. It was this promotion thing. The guy next to me, we fly across country, and the guy's like, this Wi-Fi's busted, man. This plane, this, this thing's a joke. I'm like, yeah, I know it's inconvenient not to have free Wi-Fi on your flight across country, but you're flying across the country, man. Like 100 years ago, they had to set up the Oregon Trail. Like half the people would die before they got there. You'd end up in dysentery and you'd have to shoot your own food along the way. You're going to be there in five hours. Like, like no matter how bad the flight is, after every flight should take off, every passenger on the plane should go, Woo-hoo! I forgot what I was talking about. Right. If it's God's phone, you're going to use it for God's way. That means you're going to call people. You're going to encourage them. You're going to send them text messages that are going to build them up. They're going to encourage them. The apps you put on there are going to be things that are going to build up people and build up your life. You're not going to use your iPhone to follow the Kardashians or whatever it is. You know, you're not going to fill your life with a bunch of nonsense. You're going to use it. Why? Because it's God's phone. Even the shoes that are on your feet. Some of you got a fresh pair of Nike Air Maxes. Those are God's Maxes, right? You're going to, and that means what? You're going to walk in the ways that he wants you to walk. God gave me, listen, God's minivan is parked out there. And I'm here to tell you that is God's swagger wagon. That is not, that is not me and Jackie's. That is the Lord's. And that means this, if I treat it like the Lord's, then here's what happens. When I get a brand new car, if it gets scratched, it's God's problem. Why? Because man, people are more important than things. And that is a tool for me to use to bring him glory. And that means if somebody needs a ride, i got to give them a ride. Now, if it's my car, I can be like, no, you're not riding in here, okay? Your boots are all muddy, and I don't have the time to go do that. But it happens to be God's time and God's car, so get in, right? Right? Why? Because I want to treat my stuff like it belongs to God. That's the reality. So on the way out of here, somebody, you're going to do it. It's invariably. So you're going to walk out of here and be like, oh, man, i got to pick up my kids. And somebody's going to be like, they're God's kids. And you're going to be like, all right. But that's the point. This week, just see how many times you use the pronoun and see how, uh, have a little fun with it. But begin uh, correcting um, uh, one another just to get this in my head that this, this is God's. It, God's body. It's God's time. We are stewards. Now, some of you may already want to stop me and say, now, wait a minute. I'm not a steward of much. I don't have any money. Okay. We should talk about that. I'm poor. Some of you are college students. Poverty. So when you say, I'm, uh, I don't have anything to be a steward, well, how are you being a steward of your current education time are you being a steward of your poverty are you complaining about what other people are doing to you or are you asking and thanking god for what he has done for you right how are you being a steward of your talent and time for some of you, you have healthy bodies how are you being a steward of your health for the, some of you you're going through a time of sickness or pain how are you being a steward of that because god can use even that when it comes to faithfulness uh just going to look at a couple more verses that drive this point home i think i've made the point but just to drive it home and then we'll be done Uh, I love this. He says, and and when you're a faithful steward, you start to care more about pleasing God than about pleasing other people. Do you know that? So here, this is what Paul says. I love how he words this. He's so gentle. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, he adds, I don't even judge myself. Why? Because I think I'm living right, but that's not what sets me free. Look how he words it. 
My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. Why? Because innocence doesn't come from me stamping innocent on myself. It's, if I'm going to be declared innocent, it's got to come from, from God. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, let's just, let's just hang out on that verse one second. I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Go back to my guy in Texas at Mr. Marshall's ranch. If I said to him, if I came down a few years later and I said, you know, Mr. Stewart, I got all these ideas for the ranch. You are wasting so much money on that $2,000 a month utility bill. You need to chop that in half. I've got all these ways. You need to move this. You should take these horses and put them in this stall. In fact, with King Tut's chair here, you need to move this over here. You know what he's going to say to me? I've got this clipboard of ideas and suggestions on how he should run that ranch. You know what he's going to say to me? He's going to say, Tom, I care very little about what you're saying. Like, it's cool. I mean, I'm okay. I'm not going to be rude about it. I'm listening to you. But at the end of the day, I don't really answer to you. Right? Now, that can show up in the Christian life in all kinds of ways. When you begin to do this, there will be people who will look at you and say, mm, that's a bad plan. When you, if you'll take me seriously, right, the word of God, and you'll say, you know what? We're going to start living our life like stuff belongs to God. And we're just, you know, the lucky ones who get to use what's really his. We're going to start treating this stuff like it's God's. We're not going to be addicted to it. We're not going to treat it as an idol. This is God's and it's a blessing. Uh, if you'll start doing that, you will face persecution, right? And there may be people who would, who would say that's bad. I used the example earlier of how Jackie and I tithe, and we grew up tithing, tithing 10% of our income. And uh, uh, it may be that a financial planner may sit down with us one day and say, well, I've figured out how we can, you know, turn your finances all around. Uh, Tom and Jackie, we, Mr. and Mrs. Richter, we, all we have to do, we, we, I see there's 10% here that goes to New Hope Church that you tie through your local church. What we're going to do is we're going to take that uh, 10% and we're going to invest this in this growth stock portfolio and we're going to get this going or whatever. And uh, if that's the case, we could get you going with all these millions of dollars. Th- this is what Jackie and I would say to him. We care very little about your plan to, to do it that way. You know why? Because we we're not living for this. Uh, we care about what the Lord thinks. I'm not living and dying to hear, well done, good and faithful servant from Merrill Lynch. I want to hear, again, if you're like, yes, Charles Schwab. I, that, that's not the point. Uh, I care. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant uh, from the Lord. Let's see. That's about it. The last verse drives it home. Okay, these these two verses need a little explanation. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. In other words, wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what's hidden in darkness. He will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. That Listen, that's crucial. He's saying one day, uh, the owner of that ranch is going to show up. And he wants to know, has that steward been faithful? Doesn't matter if the steward's been perfect. He can't help if there's going to be a storm or he didn't get everything done perfect. The question is, was he faithful with what he's entrusted? And that's the question for you and me. Will we be found faithful? And along the way, if there's people that are going to persecute, haters going to hate. I care very little about that. Why? I'm keeping uh, focused on what God thinks. Now, brothers and sisters, he says, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you'll not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. In other words, he's saying, guys, the, the goal is be faithful. You guys are saying be faithful, but also be a really good talker like Apollos. Or be faithful, but be an awesome counselor like Paul. Or be faithful, but be a great evangelist like Timothy. He's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. The point is be faithful. Paul, Timothy, Apollos, Cephas, all of us. Guess what we are? We are servants. The Greek word for servant means under rower. You know the slave galley on the ship? 
Can you imagine the captain of the ship and two little under rowers going, I'm better than you. He's saying, we are servants. That's why it's nonsense. It's crazy when these ministers fight it out, you know? He's like, it's like, well, you know, I'm, 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 Charles, I'm Charles Stanley. I'm Joel Osteen. I'm Matt Chandler. I, look, man, these are servants of the Lord, not celebrities. Uh, you know, now, okay, sorry. I prematurely said last verse. That really is the last verse. Who makes you different from anyone else? What, I love this, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Will you all say that with me? Everybody play along. You're like, yeah, it's my first time in church. I don't really know about like chanting words. That's cool. Just read these bold words with me. Uh, you ready? We're going to read, what do you have that you did not receive? You ready? One, two, three. What do you have that you did not receive? And that rhetorical question, it, what do you have that was not a gift? Your time, your money, your copy of the scriptures. You, listen, what do you have that was not a gift? And you know the greatest gift of all? salvation you didn't earn it you couldn't earn it and that's the the you know the message of the gospel your good deeds are never going to be enough to please god so why do i make such a big deal out of stewardship why you know why would i start this series called ducks in a row and and try to get this point across that you know that uh uh uh, everything we have is a gift and we have to treat it like this it's because it, it comes down to this idea this notion of salvation of adoption watch god is going to do for every Christian, what Mr. Marshall was never going to do for the steward of that ranch. The difference is this. The steward of the ranch has to be a good steward and stuff because his job depends on it. We need to learn to be good stewards because our, this is going to be our future. In the new heaven, new earth, this is going to be our world. So watch, watch. God is not just wanting a bunch of good asset managers. God has adopted us into his family. And we're not just going to be managers of his stuff. We're going to be his sons and daughters. And that means we are his sons and daughters. And that means, watch, that means we're going to be heirs. And the new heaven, new earth, imagine, you're in charge of your salary right now and how it gets spent. You're in charge of your time. You're in charge of your health. What are you going to do in the new heaven, new earth when he says, this, you know, humongous garden is yours, you know? You, all this technology, I want you to do something with it. Create, cultivate. You, these two mountains, make them something awesome. You got a million years, go. What are you going to, how are you going to be a steward of a mountain if you can't be, a steward of your cell phone. You see what I'm saying? That's really his plan for you. He, you. You are his heir. You have been adopted. And he wants to make you look like God's kids should look. And God's kids are going to look like their father God. And God is generous. Is he generous? Hey, come on. It, uh, the heart of God is to be a giver. And the reason w- w- he wants us to be a giver, ultimately, church doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money, please. Uh, The reason he wants to build in this generosity in us is so that we will look like his son, Jesus, to shape us in the image of his son. And is he a giver? Uh, Some of you, I am not a minister here at City on a Hill. Uh, I am a a pastor in Jamaica, Queens, and I get to come here and minister alongside you. So if you're confused about. So some of you I haven't met yet. uh, I have a daughter who's four and a son who's two and a little daughter who's very, very young, a couple months. And I remember um, a, a few months ago. Uh, when Carson turned two, because, you know, kids really, they're not that, not like, cool until they're, like, two. Then, they're, then they get fun. You know, they're sort of a blob of goo. But, but, I mean, no offense to my kid. Whatever. I mean, I might not mention that to him. But the point is simple. Uh, the point I'm trying to make is uh, Carson has gotten so fun, and he's starting to say stuff, and he can really. And, uh, anyway, it was real early in the morning. <clears throat> I was reading. 
And Carson comes jumping into my lap out of nowhere. I don't know why this struck me as so funny, but he jumps right in my lap, gets right in my face, rips the book down. I'm reading, gets right in my face. He's this far from my face, and he goes, "Hello, Daddy!" <laughs> dying laughing. Every parent in here, you know that moment. You can't explain why it's so. So anyway, I'm reading. What I had been reading was about God's love. Anyway, so Jackie's like looking at me, like you know, and he just sat in my lap and just watched me read. And if you know. Time goes by, and Jackie was in the kitchen or whatever, and she's like, are you crying? What are you doing? And I was sitting there sobbing. And she's like, what is it? <clears throat> and I remember thinking, if the only way, you know John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I'm sitting here holding my only begotten son. And I thought, if the only way to redeem the rebel sinners was the life of my own son. Let me tell you something. The rebel sinners would be out of luck. But God's heart and Jesus, who said he went to the cross, it was joy that was laid before him, that it was Jesus in the garden. I mean, his decision and the heart of God and the love of the Holy Spirit, that his heart was that much for you and for me, that's what it's going to take. That kind of generosity, is that's our destiny. We are going to be in that place of such deep and abiding love for God and for others. In the meantime, he's given us disciplines to help us get our ducks in a row. Step one, money. Just treat it like it's, uh, like it's God's, not ours. We'll talk about time. We'll talk about our bodies. We'll talk about these things uh, as we come. But that's the point. Everything we have is God's. We are just the stewards. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for entrusting in us Uh, so much and we thank you for granting us so much god lord uh, i pray that as stewards we would be found faithful and i also have to add that if father anyone is here today and they've never taken that step of faith that they've never made the transfer of trust to become a believer that today would be the day that john 3 16 becomes true for them that they put their faith and trust in you and will not perish but have everlasting life because of you and because of the free gift of salvation that you offer them this day. And Father, I pray for all those who are believers that throughout this week, this notion would resonate in our minds that it's not our, not ours, it's not ours, it's God's. We're his asset managers and we're gonna use these things for his glory and for his kingdom, caring very little about what the world may think of how we use these things. Father, thank you for such heart of generosity that you have and for your desire to put that in us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, uh, the Bible says he took some bread and he broke it, right? Gave thanks, blessed it, broke it. And he said to his disciples when he passed, passed it around, this amazing thing, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And in like manner, after supper, the Bible says he took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He said, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's simply what we're doing today. It's a supper of remembrance. And uh, our ushers know how to get us to the table in a reverent manner. And so you can just follow their lead. And what this uh, table is, is very simple. If you are a believer, this is a table to remember. Every week we come and we remember 
that we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And this is our way of remembering exactly what that price was. When we take the bread, we ponder the body of Jesus stretched out on that Roman cross. And we, when we dip it in the cup, we think about his blood that was spilled. He was our Passover lamb who died as our substitute, as our sacrifice, so that rebel sinners could become sons and daughters of the king. And we don't just want that to be some reality. We want to somehow ingest it. We want to take it in. And that's why we eat it, make it a part of ourselves. Uh, This is a symbol, and it is a symbol that is meaningful for believers. If you're here and you're not, you'd say, I'm not even a believer yet. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. Then when the ushers call your row, you can just remain seated in prayer and and, and thinking and pondering. That's okay. No one will judge or uh, consider that uh, anything odd. We're glad you're here, and everybody is on a journey. Uh, uh, and uh, we, we hope that uh, God speaks to you. If you are a believer, we invite you to come uh, and uh, partake of the good things of God that are prepared for the people of God. So at this time, I'll turn it over to the ushers who uh, may make some arrangements and, and light the candles and so forth uh, and give them time to prepare. They'll get us to the table properly. They know how to do that. And let's just uh, reflect on what we've heard in that time. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.